Welcome back to the Go Dig a Hole podcast. This is your host, Chris Sims, and today we are digging deeper into the archives. This episode features a roundtable discussion from a group of CRM archaeologists I worked with um, now three or four years ago, and at the end of a particularly challenging project, we all shared some uh, insights and I just got to say this team was a dream to work with and uh, it's been really cool to see all of them go on and do uh, really amazing things with their lives and I'm thankful still for the uh, insights they shared on this episode so I hope you all get something good out of this and stay tuned for more archive episodes and new episodes of the Go Dig a Hole podcast coming with our other hosts, Katie, Tia, and Kirsten. Also, if you dig what we're doing here at Go Dig a Hole, you can support us on Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash go dig a hole. You can also check us out on social media. We've got a Facebook page, Twitter, and Instagram. We always welcome input from our listeners and we would love to hear any ideas you all have for uh, show topics or any questions uh, we're always happy to answer those on the air or if you happen to be in the Portland area swing on by the Airstream studio for a fun live recording Podcast. I'm here with uh, the Desert West Environmental Crew in Arkansas. We've been working on a uh, 10-day rotation in a forest near Hot Springs, Arkansas. And uh, let's go around the table and introduce everybody and how long you've been working in CRM. Sonia, you want to start? I will. My name is Sonia Hutmacher. I have uh, about 18 years of experience, depending on how you calculate everything. Maybe a little bit more, if you count college and grad school. Yeah, we count that. Okay, so like over 20 <laughs> years. My name is Chris Matthews. I have just over four years of experience. Nice. My name is Robert Baker. I have uh, right around 13 years of experience. Uh, I'm Alexandra Younger, and I've been working since 2011 in CRM and currently a grad student at North Texas. I'm Karen Mayo, and I've, just like Sonia, it depends how you calculate it, but I have, this is my 21st year doing archaeology. Very cool. And uh, I'm the host of the show, Christopher Sims, and I've got, um, it's 2017 now, 10 years of experience. Okay. Yeah. You might recognize Sonia from the CRM Archaeology podcast. Um, She's a regular on there, Mm -hmm. and... Alexandra and I actually went to college together at App State. We were both in undergrad together in the anthropology program there. Um, so that was that was really cool. To uh, you sent me a message on Facebook a few weeks ago, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god, it's a small world." It is Appalachian State. We're everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but so with the crew that we've got assembled here, Sonia, I think you've done a really good job of bringing together people of 
different experience levels and different regions of experience. And Mm -hmm. I think that it's a really interesting crew and everybody's really rolling and it's neat to work with a crew where everybody knows what they're doing and, you know, like we're all taking on new tasks and stuff, but we're just rolling with it. So it's really cool. Um, and we've had a lot of good conversations in the field too. And one of the recurring themes that's come up, um, is professionalism. So with that being the theme for this episode, you know, I want to cover things like some experiences and lessons that you've picked up along the way that might be useful for, archaeologists just starting out or maybe still an undergrad thinking about going into the field and so you know one of the the really cool traits of this crew is you know with everybody being more experienced is there there's not the kind of drama and there's not the kind of like infighting or you know just like newbie mistakes that you would expect from a newer crew mm-hmm. and <clears throat> that's not to diminish newer crews like uh you know it's great to work with newer crews and stuff and get their experiences too. Um, but I think one of the things that somebody just starting off could take away from this episode, you know, if, if you don't want to listen to the very end, is uh, act like you've been there before. And, you know, don't be too cocky. You, everybody always has something to learn uh, and always be humble. But, um, you know, everybody here has clearly been there before. And, you know, it shows with the quality of work we're doing and just, like we're knocking out some insane shovel test numbers here mm-hmm. and hiking in some pretty unforgiving territory in the Ozark mountains, uh, as it's snowing mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. When we, when we put together this, this, uh, um, contract, we went into it with the assumption that everyone on the crew would need to know exactly what they were doing, exactly how to do it. It wouldn't need a lot of guidance or instruction, maybe basic instruction on how we do things, how the how the company operates, and that sort of thing. Um, but we needed to have an experienced crew, and um, that's not to say that we wouldn't have taken people that had uh, fewer years of experience. But they needed to be work be able to work independently and show us that. So one of the things that I did when I posted the opportunity was say, send me a cover letter and your resume or CV. I don't know if you guys remember seeing that, mm-hmm. but, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. but I wanted to know who could follow instructions mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, and whether or not you could communicate clearly to me. And part of, part of the reason for asking that is, you know, uh, uh, can you communicate? Can you, can you operate independently? Um, can you tell me what your experience is without, it doesn't have to be a lot of words. It can be, a cover letter could be included in your in your email. It doesn't have to be a separate cover letter. But it was important to me to know that I had people who could follow directions and operate in, independently and knew what they were doing, especially regionally. Now we've got one person on the team who's not worked in the Southeast before, and that's okay because we've got eight others who have, you know, and we've got some members of the team who are a little bit less experienced and others who have more than 20 years of experience. So we're, we're here to teach people how, uh, not necessarily how to do archeology, span but basically we're here to help, 
you know, it doesn't matter that you don't have a lot of experience or yeah. that you don't have a lot of experience in the area. That's mm-hmm. part of working as a team. It is part and of working as a team. Completing jobs in a timely manner with mm-hmm. good work is everyone working as a team mm-hmm. and not being afraid to ask questions. If you don't know something, all of us usually can learn something new on a project. Yep. Um, and no matter how many years you have mm-hmm. and how and often you're very specialized and you may not know yeah. other areas of or yeah. the project area or yeah. but absolutely like going to what Chris said uh, you, you can learn something new uh, everywhere you go uh, I, I'm the one that has no experience in the southeast and uh, most of my experience is in, in the southwest where everything's on the surface and so I've never really experienced shovel testing before. So this has been a, an eye-opener for me and a, a very different style of work and uh, very uh, pleasing, though, uh, to be able to accomplish uh, things independently and, uh, and to have a crew that is very understanding and very willing to explain how things are done. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's very nice, and uh, it's, a, it's a great learning experience, and you, you can grow a lot uh, I do think it's incredibly important when you're responding to a job um, position that, and, and once you get the acceptance letter to read what suggestions and ideas they have for uh, the gear that you're going to bring along. Um, these things aren't just a random list that are made up and very generic. Uh, they're thought through. Um, they're important. You need to think about the types of shoes you're going to have, the types of clothing. And the person in charge, Sonia, has thought through what kind of conditions we're going to be exposed to and that everybody needs to be prepared. And you need to have those things and not, not show up with what was suggested. <laughs> no. I mean, unless there are times when you may be financially, especially when you're starting out, you may have some things that you might not be able to afford or... Um, for whatever reason, you may not have them, and it's it can be okay. Um, you can always put that forward to the person in charge. Well, it appears that one of these items on the list I haven't been able to acquire yet, or and usually there's extra gear around, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so yeah. and and there are other pe- and people will help you out with these things and have extras. Mm-hmm. But it's just good to make sure you're following the acceptance letter and looking to see what kind of equipment and stuff that they're asking for. And I think that's a really important point because it requires good communication uh, to be able to, you know, see see that requirement and identify that need and to be able to effectively communicate with your supervisor. And that's the kind of skill that you're going to carry no matter where you go and no matter what the situation is. Like, that's that's just a good thing. But that's something that just starting off like Sonia I'm sure you were able to identify right away you know like who are these people Mm -hmm. are they decent communicators like you had said Mm -hmm. in your requirements you you require a cover letter and a resume on purpose Mm -hmm. because you want somebody to communicate effectively and clearly yep and that really weeds out a lot of people it does it does I mean, just because you didn't include a cover letter doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to get offered a position. I mean, but it helps me determine who's going to require more management and who's not. And sometimes I'm surprised. Like, if if you don't include a cover letter and you do get the job, hey, 
that's great. I mean, and, and you can do the job. That's fantastic. But like at one point you had sent me a photograph or like a text message, Chris, of some of your field gear. And I think you posted it on your Facebook page. And mm-hmm. I was like, you might want to bring an insulated cover to your to your camelback bladder. Yeah, exactly. And I ended up ordering it as soon as you uh, as soon as you told me that. I just hopped onto the the REI app and mm-hmm. you know ordered it. Super right away. easy to do. Yeah. But it's it's also really easy to forget that we're working in the middle of January right now. Yeah. And my my uh, if I don't have an insulator, and even now if it's hanging out of the back of yeah. my backpack, it still freezes. Yeah. It, but if I stuff it into my backpack, it's usually okay. Mm-hmm. So it's it's helpful to get reminders. And most managers, I mean, at least I prefer to provide constructive criticism, if you want to call it criticism, or suggestions. Maybe. Yeah, good feedback. Yeah, good feedback that says, mm, you might want to look into this. If not, then we need to find another alternative. Yeah. Um, and like you were, you were saying, Karen... Um, there's usually plenty of, of stuff to oh, go yeah, around. There's usually plenty. I mean, I know myself that I own like three or four compasses. Mm-hmm. And nowadays you think like you don't need them on a project or whatever, but you have mm-hmm. on the list compass. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a reason. I know, mm-hmm. uh, Unless you're using like an app, we have, mm-hmm. you need to know incline. And so like the using having a compass with inclinometer on it, Mm-hmm. Those are like things we need. It wasn't just randomly put on there like, oh, an mm-hmm. outdated piece of equipment. They're like, it's not outdated. And there are plenty of times that equipment stops working. Yeah. <laughs> There's plenty, plenty of times. Plenty of times. Or you lose it. Or you lose it. Or you lose it. Well, yeah. that comes down to why you need to be an effective communicator because not all those job ads are going to list the items that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you don't understand the weather, open up a line of communication about the weather, what you need to bring, what they're providing those kinds of things because actually can, they can vary a lot um there are very small projects i've heard of where you have to bring your own shovel so um it's a good way to open up line communication as well as be prepared mm-hmm. well and especially for people that are coming to a new region from uh, a different region that aren't, aren't familiar with what you're going to be facing it's a, it's nice to know uh, the things that are different and what you will need because, you know, in the Southwest, you don't need to carry around a, a raincoat all the time or sure. or that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. So it's nice to know when you need that kind of equipment uh, yeah. when you're coming into a new region and a new project. Uh, it's, it's nice to know that kind of yeah, stuff. In a place like the Southeast, your winter temperatures and conditions vary. Mm-hmm dramatically yeah it's day gonna be in the day. 60s in a couple of days we just froze our butts off yesterday <laughs> dropping in snow yeah um so you just really never know it doesn't mm-hmm. hurt to be prepared for all situations for yeah or as, as much as you can be yeah. it's impossible can, yeah. to be prepared for every situation and, and i and i can't emphasize that enough mm-hmm. we want to be as prepared as we can but Sometimes you, things come out of the blue. Yeah, things drop up. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, a GPS breaks yeah. or someone, you know, something happens and something gets lost. Mm-hmm. So how do we adjust for that in the field? Earlier today, um, we had three people coming from one area that didn't have uh, polygons and points loaded on their GPSs. So Chris and I had to kind of on the fly, start flagging ahead of them. 
which is pretty standard procedure in the Southeast, yeah. flagging ahead. Mm-hmm. And all the other guys just dug the holes as we got back to the truck. So, you know, things things change and we just kind of roll with it. Yeah. And also, Karen, you brought up a good point about how equipment fails. You know, imagine as as you guys were hiking across that, you know, it was basically from one mountain range to another. Mm-hmm. You know, you crossed the, the deep drainage in between. Uh, you know, as you were hiking back up the valley, imagine if your GPS has failed, you know, mid-route. If you didn't have a compass, it would turn from, you know, just normal workday to a survival situation. Mm-hmm. And especially it's cloudy and um, mm-hmm. you're thinking like, okay, I can like look where the sun is. Well, actually, we haven't been able to see this <laughs> no. on a number yeah. of days. So, yeah. uh, you know, some of the skills you think you might use to determine direction. Yeah. Um, and also in the winter <laughs> in this part of the country, you know, like the sun is what, like 30 degrees off of south. Mm-hmm. So it's... Right. You can't always count on that. One of the one of the reasons why I stood at the like today when we were out in the field, I stood at the southeastern corner of our parcel, of Chris and I's parcel, and I said to the other crew who was on the opposite side of the of the little ridge line, I said, "If you guys just continue straight west, you will hit the truck after about a quarter of a mile." Now. Obviously, there's topography in there, but it's a one quarter mile, and you will hit the truck if you can sit if you if you um, travel straight west. Yeah, and I wanted them to know that if something did happen, or if because they didn't have our polygons and our points on their GPSs, they all they had to do was pull out a compass and just walk. Yeah, it's very important. I mean. Mm-hmm. It's easy to get turned around in those deep forests and that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And what you think is west is really east, and mm-hmm. it's, it's very simple to, to turn yourself around if you're not paying attention. Happened to me a couple times today. And you can have all your bases covered. We have radios. Those are great, but they don't once always in work. A while, always work yeah. Somebody doesn't come through. So. <laughs> yeah. You can get the best radio ever, and still one person can be one mountain over and nothing comes through. So these are good, like, basic skills that, you know, we all have coming into this project, um, you know, and I feel like the rest of the skills you can pick up along the way, it, like, uh, Baker, you, you had mentioned, you know, this is your first time in the Southeast, but you have a wealth of experience in other regions. And so you've picked up you know, the ability to learn about new cultures and all that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you kind of know, this is a rough statement, but when you when you expand out to like a certain degree, like archaeology is archaeology is archaeology, no matter where you go. Absolutely. And so it's like, you're just looking for certain components of cultures yes. and like you've learned how to how to ask the right questions right. and all that. That's like right. you showed up and you were like, okay, what are the tools made out of? What is the artifact assemblage? Yep. Stuff like that. Yeah, especially around here, it's not crypto-crystalline silicate, it's not chert, it's navaculite. It's very specific to this area. I've never heard that word before coming here. <laughs> I uh, actually, as soon as I knew where the project was, then those are usually standard things that I go and do and look at every single project. I look at, I go to the USGS 
site and look at see what types of soils and stuff I'm going to be dealing with because that will make determine what kind of equipment I want with me. Mm-hmm. And then I also do start looking at some of the basic archaeology of the region, especially if I'm not really, you know, I've been doing it for a long time, but you don't know everything. <laughs> and so I usually go and try and see if there's any um, recent archaeology uh journal articles or things I could read about and I did come across the websites and stuff that um, specifically mentioned the vacuolite and I wasn't familiar with it either and so then I started reading up on it what types of chert they also do have in the area they do. and they're very specific things that at least I had some idea before mm-hmm. I arrived out here. And there's so. a lot of contention in Arkansas about the vacuolite and the chert. There mm-hmm. is almost every color of chert in the state and different variations of yeah. nevaculate. And some argue it nevaculates just this one way and it shows mm-hmm. up in a lot of different ways. And it can be in a lot of different colors, just That's like right. chert. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, you know, when you come to a job, you don't, not anyone knows everything. Mm-hmm. We're all from around different areas. Sometimes you have someone who's more specialized. And that's where Karen was saying, Baker was saying about teamwork being so essential because you will ultimately have to rely on each other, even the most experienced people and the newest people. So a lot of it's improvisation. Um, but that I think that ties into what we spoke of earlier, bringing humility to the table. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest things is don't be afraid to ask questions. Because you know, you, you, might, you might have a decade of experience but you come to a new region, you might walk right through a feature and not know it's a feature because you're unfamiliar with what the features are or you know what the artifacts are. You might just blow it off not thinking anything of it. Yeah. So you need to be willing and able to ask questions without being afraid of looking dumb or anything like that. You, you know, just because you have experience, don't, don't let it get to your head because there's always more to learn and it's important to be able to ask those questions. Always. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as I think all of us have experienced, you know, archaeologists love to talk mm-hmm. and we love to yeah. tell stories. <laughs> so, you know, any opportunity for one to learn is also an opportunity for many to talk. So, you know, it's, it, all of us love it, you know, when we get to teach each other and build each other up mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I think that's, <clears throat> sorry, that's a sign of a really good team is when people are building each other up and strengthening each other's skills. Yeah, and that's that's one of the most important things that I look for in a good crew. I mean, this crew has by far been one of the best that I've ever worked with. And and I don't say that lightly. I mean it. It is it is has been a very very challenging project. It has been I mean, it's not a particularly long project. It's only, you know, a little over 2000 acres of survey, phase 1 survey. So for you Westerners, that means digging holes every 30 meters. <laughs> that that for, thing that everybody on the CRM archaeology <laughs> podcast grimaces at, whenever we're like, yeah, Southeastern archaeology, the shovel test. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're doing it. It's it's not easy work. I mean, and and you think, oh well, if I work in the West, I can make forty to eighty plus acres a day. And out here with a crew of nine, we're like, woohoo, 
we got 190 acres done. This is super awesome. That is pretty awesome. It is, and that has to do with uh, the type of um, topography and stuff we're dealing with. Because we have a lot of slope. We have a lot of slope. In other areas (laughs) of the southeast, we will not be getting getting that number. We have very thin, rocky soils here, which are Mm -hmm. a godsend for this uh, project. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the southeast, I've had very deep, deep soils, mm-hmm. intensive uh, shovel testing. And you're wet digging. sometimes. Yeah, and oh, wet God. and smelly. Yeah. Mm, and those. briars. And briars. All the briars. Yeah. We do have some deeper ones out here, especially when we're along uh, creeks or uh, some of the drainages and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do get some deeper stuff to deal with, but mm-hmm. uh, we have been pretty lucky. In- I mean, up in Tennessee, we're going to be facing meter deep shovel mm-hmm. tests and 50 by 50s, not 35, 30 centimeter holes that we're doing now um i mean if we were if if we had to if we had to dig 100 centimeter uh, meter deep holes out here we'd never get done Mm -mm. and what one of the things that's important to remember is folks even though the state says one thing if you're digging into rock and bedrock you don't have to dig any deeper. <laughs> that stuff's like millions of years old. You don't have to worry about it. People weren't around back then. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of those things. You know, like I've worked in the southeast for most of my career, and you know, working here was different in many ways. And so, the first few days that I was on this project, I was just killing myself. You know, digging too deep, mm-hmm. and you know, not writing off things that I should have been writing off and so on and so forth. But I was able to learn from others, you know, Mm -hmm. right away, you know, like, uh, Chris and Baker, like you guys came in and helped me out and finish one of my transect lines. And you guys were digging in the same soil as I was, and you were describing your process of going through it. And I was like, Oh, that's because okay. oh, yeah. oh. we did the same thing on the first 10 days like, <laughs> the first couple right, days we were dying like our shoulders and elbows 12% yeah. we're trying to go through the rock till one of the other workers says ain't no one living under that rock and it made sense yeah and I want to highlight a good point here when you're doing shovel testing it's more about the soil than it is about the archaeology oh, um, absolutely in an area like this with dramatic topography you have two types of rocky soils you have colluvium and mm-hmm. you have sea horizon mm-hmm. so yeah sometimes you can kind of work through the colluvium and get somewhere especially in other places in arkansas where i've been required yeah. to do the maximum yeah. regardless absolutely and so i think it's really important to either ask around or self-educate on soils and geology just to the extent that you can kind of sort of understand what you're looking at. It's going to vary from place to place, but um, I think that's a really good skill to bring to the table, and it's Mm -hmm. not too hard to acquire. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of fun. Yeah, Soils don't have to be boring. The soil survey has an amazing application that you can get into and take a look at. Yeah, Google Soils Web. You would be amazed at how much information is out there. I would just like to mention something to the the new archaeologists coming out of the Southwest. Don't be afraid to expand your horizons and come to the Southeast. Uh, You know, it's it's a great learning experience, and I was I was pretty intimidated when I heard you know we were going to be digging you know sixty five to eighty shovel tests a day. I mean that's 
that's pretty alien to someone that's never had to do shovel tests because everything's on the surface. Yeah, no, that's yeah. not normal. Uh, that's not normal in your <laughs> No. That is trucking. That is and super trucking. We were, we were going hardcore, but, you know, it's it's no different than digging one-by-ones after, you know, one-by-ones down in the Southwest. It's no yeah. different. Don't be intimidated. It's a great learning experience, and it's great to experience new regions and expand your knowledge because... There's not always going to be work in the regions that you're used to, and you're going to have to expand your horizons and go to where the work is if you want to be successful in this field. Mm -hmm. If you can shovel chest in the southeast, you can shovel chest anywhere in the states. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've done it all over uh, the southeast, Texas, up to uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin. It's the same thing. The same skills are there. But if you can do it in the summer in the southeast, you can do it everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. You're in that badge. You're yeah. in that badge. That's right. I just, I can't express how thankful I am. And, and I know this sounds kind of hokey, but I'm really thankful that I have the crew that I've got on this project. It's been an amazing, amazing, so far, what, 16, 16 days? Yeah, 18, 16 days? 16 days. And we've got a couple more days left, and uh, then we'll start recording archaeological sites. But... I got to admit, um, I was nervous about this project. This is our first project with this forest, and it's one of the bigger projects that were issued on this uh, on this IDIQ that we have. And um, it was uh, so it was a little bit nerve wracking, not only on the budgeting side because you're kind of estimating as normal. But also, you're, you're learning from other people who've done work around the same area. So I mentioned this, this is an IDIQ that we have, which means indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity. And uh, that basically means um, we can be contracted to do any amount of work, deliverable at any time. And um, over the next, I think, two to three years, assuming our IDIQ is, is renewed every, every year. And I, I know I'm getting into the technical, more business side, but this is kind of what I do because <laughs> I'm business and the project managers on these. Yeah. But it, it, it was a little bit, it was a nerve wracking because this was our first project. And I wanted to make sure that we got an experienced crew. And by experience, like I said earlier, it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody had to have like 20 years of experience. That's not the case. Mm -hmm. It's that people needed to be able to work independently. They needed to be able to take direction. They needed to be able to ask questions and learn and, um, and be able to communicate and get along with one another. Not all go out to the bar at night that we were able to sit down and talk about things you know wow this was really difficult for me getting through those briars was awful today and uh you you piped up one time alexandra mm. uh, i had to just cut myself a little tunnel <laughs> Sam's machete you just Sam's machete <laughs> think like the rabbit yeah. be the rabbit yeah some I days mean, you just make do right sometimes you, some days you just have to make do and afterwards maybe you can have a glass of wine yeah, yeah. my my favorite part of what you said and I think it's rung true more now than ever it's always been about communication to me mm -hmm. about what makes a good employee or good coworker supervisor 
but what I've heard a lot lately from my superiors is there's lots of good archaeologists out there. We've all worked with great archaeologists, but it's the ones who can't take direction mm-hmm. who end up losing in the end. And that's a lot of the time what you guys are looking for, Sonia, when you make those phone calls and check the references is, I don't want to know just are they good archaeologists. Can they take direction? Because every project is going to be different. Every company has its own, its own way of handling and running things. Yeah, mm-hmm. Different set of rules. You have to be willing to to jump on board with how that company hunts. That's right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. And to your experience, Alexandra, like in, even in Arkansas, things are so widely different, mm-hmm. you know, from here in the Ozarks down to the Mississippi Valley, mm-hmm. you know, the archaeology, the terrain, the, the way of operating in the field, even on the same type of phase one project is insanely different from one end of the state to the other. Isn't that true? Yeah. One thing for me that's been great and an eye-opener is having a manager in Sonia that is willing to explain everything from the business side of things, from the contracting to the wage rates to the archaeology. It's fantastic to have someone that I can ask those questions to that doesn't talk down to me. Uh, doesn't resent what I'm asking, is willing to answer the questions that I have to give me more knowledge and more understanding uh, from, from where I sit to know what my rights are, to everything from that to what the materials are that we're going to be digging up. It's very important to be able to have someone that is willing to answer those questions without hostility it's 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 really great to have that yeah definitely the ability to be questioned without getting defensive you know and also the ability like baker to as you're doing to to question without being you know hostile or provocative it you know and also you know like we have tons of conversations throughout Mm -hmm. the day in various settings on various topics and you know, at times we do disagree with each yeah, other. But... Absolutely. Well, how many of us here, not just here talking, but listening, have been on a project where you were asked to go and do above and beyond and extra and extra and extra and never, ever told why? Mm-hmm. All of us are raising all our hands. Hand. You're, you're listening, you can't see it, but we're all raising our hands. <laughs> not only, not and... only being asked to do that stuff, but, you know, being thanked for going above and beyond and yeah. being appreciated for it just not go do this we're all raising our hands because Sonia is good about appreciating and taking good care of her, her mm-hmm. employees but uh, I, I would say most of the time I would not be raising my hand I've worked for a lot of diff- lot of different companies I've worked in 23 different states um, I've probably worked for you know, I've probably worked somewhere between 10 and 15 different companies. And uh, I was, um, Sonia and I actually uh, were on a project together. Uh, she was brought in because you're a um, geoarchaeologist. Geo-archaeologist, mm-hmm. And you're licensed, and um, mm-hmm. you were brought in on the project. So I got to meet you, and that was out in Nevada with a company uh, working, you know, out in, sorry, out in Nevada. Um, and actually, Robert Baker. Uh, was out in Nevada working with the same company, but I don't believe you guys you met. Never met. Time. I don't but the amount of detail that that you brought coming into this project, 
you did the background research really well on where we were going to be working, what kind of the, what the conditions were and everything. And it wasn't just fly in and have no idea. And, and, and sometimes that does happen. Projects do come up very quick sometimes. Mm-hmm. But um, I was very impressed with the amount of detail. And, the, and like Robert Baker, like you mentioned, uh, the things that you were willing to share with us, you know, the um, prospectus and stuff about the background of what's, what, what our client is expecting, mm-hmm. um, what the, uh, how you wrote the proposal, everything. I mean, you just were willing to share that, and it is nice to see it. And um, you can only be a better archaeologist by taking advantage and like and looking at those kind of things when you get the chance. It doesn't mean you have to turn around and think you're going to have to do that yourself. But if you understand the different aspects that go into a project, all of the different aspects, how things are built, it's going to it's going to make a, make you a better archaeologist. Mm-hmm. And that's just stuff you can like. It, I mean, as you learn, then you'll just you'll grow with it, and it it'll just make you a better archaeologist, understanding the different parts. One thing that I find fantastic is even though Sonia is the owner of the business, she's out here shovel testing with us, digging the holes, suffering the weather, the terrain, all that kind of stuff with us. And she understands even from an owner's perspective or a manager's perspective, a happy crew is a productive crew. Mm-hmm. If you if you treat your employees badly, you're not going to have the same kind of productivity if you treat them well. Mm-hmm. If a happy crew is out there, they're going to get more done for you and be more than willing to go above and beyond. Mm-hmm. In the worst conditions. In the, yeah. the worst conditions. conditions. Raining, snowing, it's slipping down hills. Yeah, it's been cold. Oh, I mean, nice. let's let's Eaten not by briars. Yeah, let's not let's not kid around here. It was freaking cold the other day and, I, and know, wet. Yeah, <laughs> this isn't rain. This is freezing cold weather in the southeast. So it's humid and cold it's and a, wet. It's a wet, wet cold. It's a it wet, wet cold. Clothes. It gets you cold no matter what you do. It hurts and yeah. it hurts. You know, we really appreciated Sonia and the things that how she's presented the project to us and. Uh, all the information and the helpfulness and uh, her attention um, to how we how we are doing out in the field on a daily basis, um, especially especially with safety too. Oh yeah, yeah. We always have a safety meeting. Um, you know, often we find that that's only required like on a, by the clients or something mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. on pipelines for us to have safety meetings, even though they may tell you to talk about chainsaw safety or how to organize your garage. I had to present those. And I also, I also had to present he man, safe man. Throughout the ages, man has remained safe by following these guidelines. And I was like, okay, this only refers to you, wow. the crew, and not to me. But, uh, but, um, but, but you giving um, how you've presented everything and how you treat us. You expect the same thing from us, though. You are my we peers, have, we not have, subordinates. The, That's the, an important thing to remember. And you've never actually called me a field tech. And I, mm-hmm. and I appreciate that you consider us archaeologists. You're professionals. 
And that's Every actually that's how I was taught is that when you go and you have your first time that you get paid, then you are a professional. You are an archaeologist. Mm-hmm. And over the years, it seems that field tech has um, become it's almost it's become a bit of a derogatory term mm-hmm. um, that you're not an archaeologist. And there's a lot of conversations that can go into that. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of people who are very opinionated on it. And there's been a lot of podcasts, oh, yeah. <laughs> but. Um, but there are responsibilities as a, as um, part of the crew, and you need to you need to be fair about these things. You need to make sure that you're you're ready on time. You need to make sure that you've got all your gear. You need to make sure I wasn't. <laughs> you need you just need to make sure that you know that you're ready for a day's worth of work. That you're not staying out partying. I'm not saying that you can never go out and party, but you better be ready for work the next day. Yeah, and, you better be and rested and ready to go. Don't think that you're going to yep. be able to slide by. Yep. A hangover <laughs> is no excuse. No, in this case, no. everybody is expected to get done what what they've been assigned. You might get a little bit of help at the end. Sure, I mean, and, and but, people do have their strong days, and some days that you have, mm-hmm. you for whatever reason, there are just different elements that go into could be the productivity and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you think illnesses, hard one you know, legitimate yeah. illnesses do pop up. Yeah. Things happen in the field, and that's why you know we have to be flexible. Mm-hmm. But I think that I think that there is an element of professionalism in being a field archaeologist that is living together like it's not a traditional work setting and not a traditional workplace and i think that there's a lot of intersectionality and a lot of very complex things going on in our work environment where like here we are right now it's what nine o'clock at night we're sitting in the dining room of a b&b you know, it's just not the norm. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's not traditional. Like, in what other workplace do you basically live with your coworkers for extended periods of time? Not many. Um, so, there are a lot of things like being being a good guest at wherever you're staying is, is one of those things that's I, I think makes don't you don't flint nap in your hotel room <laughs> don't do it you know who you are <laughs> when when I we've first, all worked with a flint napper when I first booked out this B and B like and we booked the entire B and B for this entire project um, I was like to the innkeepers I was going okay. You guys know me as an archaeologist, right? I'm awesome because, <laughs> you know, I'm like that. But I'm clean. <laughs> I don't know how clean everyone else is going to be, but they're pretty experienced. <laughs> but you've got to understand that we're going to be out in the mud. And they're like, oh, no, 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 it's perfectly fine. I'm like, I don't think you understand. <laughs> we were scared to touch the tiles. <laughs> you were just, yeah. yeah. You know, when you got like cloth, we were like, okay, it's like white. This now. is like, like 10,000 count Egyptian cotton right now. <laughs> now it's 10YR56. <laughs> <laughs> How am I going to hand this in? Yeah. I'm so happy that this session that putting towels became anonymous in the basket. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, these digs are pretty awesome, but I, I got to admit, I did have a lot of, a lot of stress about that. And yeah. one of the things that I, I got out of getting a, an experienced and um, more mature crew is that professionalism, that not destroying a room because you can. Um, I mean, 
yeah. Respect. It's respect. It's It's a level of respect. And if you you have to give it to get it. Absolutely. And you will be asked back on projects with those companies where you can show that and you can still have a great nice time with people you and you're gonna do your hard work you're gonna get dirty but you treat things and how you would want others to treat your own things mm-hmm. yeah, whether, and whether it's a hotel or a, or, or a truck uh, don't leave, yeah. don't leave all your trash in the truck make sure you pick it up at the end of the day yeah yeah you pack know? it in pack it out exactly, exactly. and they may, that may seem like a small thing but that will wear wear on people. It adds it will. If they are yeah. always the one cleaning up after It will. I've been that guy. Yeah. Okay, I'll yeah. get my soda cans out of the soccer truck. But reputations do travel far and mm-hmm. wide. You know, like you had mentioned being invited back. Mm-hmm. Reputations do travel far and wide. And I think that this crew is a good example of reputations traveling far and wide because mm-hmm. all of us are from very different regions and we have very different experience levels and it's so funny that you know karen and chris we have encountered some of the same nefarious folks (laughs) who have not so good reputations and and we've heard their reputations from one end of the country to the other absolutely you know like I, I would say you have to screw up really, really bad to be flat out blacklisted. Mm-hmm. But you, it, over time, you'll acquire that reputation. Yeah. yeah. And don't think that it doesn't get around. It's a small world. Oh, we love it to tell those stories. Yeah. yeah. Don't think it doesn't get around. And I like to call my friends sometimes and be like, yeah, I know this guy. <laughs> What's up? He applied for a job. What's up with that? You know, do you know him? Mm-hmm. Well, I, speaking on that, um, I, we, Bob, Robert Morgan's on this project as well. And uh, we always like being accessible to pass jobs along to people that we think are good to work with. We hear about a lot of jobs. We get mm-hmm. contacted about a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And we, we can't go to all of them. You know, we have our things we have to do or where we're planning to work for the year. But you have some really deep networks. <laughs> yeah, you have a deep network. I do have, I do yeah. have and if you can't networks. accept something, you may refer someone to someone else. Yeah, and if, and, and I have, and just recently, um, for different th- different reasons, you know. I mean, you can get really burned out in this field, mm-hmm. and especially, I mean, if you're not just working with one company and you're working with multiple ones, and you're on the road, uh, we're often on the road eleven months out of the year, and uh, that's something that's a commitment. Yeah, <laughs> it's a commitment, and there are reasons that you decide to do it, and reasons that you're able to do it. It's much more difficult for people with families, mm-hmm. but there are plenty with families who do it, mm-hmm. and you find ways to make it work you know skyping and different things but um with the uh, recommending people um it's there's a difference between being friends and being uh able to actually recommend somebody for a job because if you're recommending people you're putting your name on the line Mm -hmm. for saying that um that i believe they're going to do yeah quality work or follow um, direction and you don't want that to bite you back you know Mm -hmm. i i have no problem with people who are just newly in the field everybody started somewhere um, yep. And you, some people may forget that, but at one point, everybody had their first jobs. You made mistakes. You didn't know all the answers. You, and if you're honest, you still don't always know all the answers. Yeah, very but true. 
it's just something to think about. And it doesn't mean that you can't have a nice time with the crew and stuff. It just means you need to be courteous to the people you're working for. And in return, receiving the same courtesy. Mm -hmm. You need to be courteous to where you're staying. Uh, you may think like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's just a hotel. No, you don't want to. Your company does not want to be banned from there because mm -hmm. if they're asked back to do more work, you don't want that to be one off the list of where they're able to choose for, yeah. you know, for the company to put you up at. Right? And you can really do some incredible damage uh, and not just for that company, but for all for all companies. Yeah, all companies. and that can make or break a project for a company because you know I've been in situations where <clears throat> members on a project have trashed their hotel rooms to such an extent that the management will say, you know, we'll honor the rest of your reservation, but never come back. Mm -hmm. We will never let you come back. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. and it's all things like wearing dirty boots through the lobby of the hotel and walking up the stairs or trashing the elevator or, you know, getting drunk and just, you know, breaking something. Peeing in a plant. Or smoking in your hotel room. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In a non-smoking yeah. room. Which is a very, that's a very thing. That's a very common thing yeah. that happens is people smoking, whether it's cigarettes or other things in their rooms. Don't do it. it outside is 20 feet away. Go yeah. outside. And Go don't outside. and don't think that your your employer's not going to put that on your shoulders. Yep. If you do. Yeah. You totally wear that. You, you wear that. Mm. You own it. And the whole term of treat it like a rental, don't not do the it. best no. idea to do. Not a good idea. That looks bad not only on you, it looks bad on your employer, and that can get a lot of uh, people in trouble. I mean, they it can enterprise also, will stop renting you vehicles. And yeah. What are you going to do for a company? It vehicle? can also get a lot of people injured. Yes. A lot of times if you're choosing a hotel, it's because it's the one that meets your budget standards. Uh -huh. Like, And, yeah. you know, Sonia, I'm sure you can speak to this more than I can, but... You know, you don't have that many options with mm -mm. with many projects. You have a very thin budget, and not that many lodging options can meet your budget. And so, if you burn one of your options, you don't really have that many other options to choose from, and that can kill a project. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one thing that I think is really important: I came out of a public archaeology graduate program, and um, how I feel is that all archaeology is public archaeology, whether or not you're working for a public client or a private entity, mm -hmm. you enter, who you interact with while you're an archaeologist, while you're on a job, those are all, and especially in this climate where we're like worried thinking about, you know, our budget cut, are things going to be cut, um, are people going to vote a certain way to like cut funding and stuff, everybody that you interact with has their own web of contacts as well mm -hmm. and you don't know who you're coming into contact with yeah. whether those the people who own that bed and breakfast or that hotel chain everybody you interact with you really need to be fair and decent and a good responsible citizen with them because you are representing the face of archaeology mm -hmm. all archaeology is public archaeology all they are all voters they are all voters who you are dependent upon to keep laws on the books to, to protect cultural resources. And so it is a bigger thing than just you at your job 
there are there's a bigger picture. Yep, there's ramifications so, to your actions. I think it was a, a late '80s Plains conference that got booted out of maybe the Hilton hotels. <laughs> I think it was like the 1987 Plains conference, and they totally trashed the hotel. I've definitely seen them run dry. The the hotel it's chain, better. whichever one it might have been, basically said, "We will never, ever mm-hmm. host the Plains conference again." And I know we can laugh a little bit. I, you know, laugh. We think it's funny, but it's like, but there really are ramifications for the planes. The, yeah. the planes conference is a huge conference. Mm-hmm. It's it's a big regional conference, and getting booted out of yeah. out of a hotel chain because they completely screwed over the hotel is unacceptable. Yeah. That affects a lot of people's livelihoods. It does. It does. And just take into account, you know, with the hotel rooms, if you come in and you trash your hotel room, someone's got to come in there and clean it and and clean up after you. Mm-hmm. And would you want to do that for someone else? Just think of it that way. You know, would you want to come in and clean up, you know, an inch of mud out of the bathtub? Mm-hmm. I always clean that you know? before I let them in. <laughs> yeah. I always how many of us have had service industry jobs before oh, this? Oh, yeah. During college. Oh, yeah. All of us. If you haven't had a service industry job, I highly recommend it because it's a great way to survive uh, dry periods. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also a great way to be a better human being. Mm-hmm. And Karen, you said something earlier uh, that it just made me think about this. Uh, you said we we all have fun with each other, uh, and you know we all get everything done in a professional manner, and like we're very respectful of each other. And I think that that point of having fun and being respectful, you know, like. Uh, not to be like you know the the good boy of the archaeology <laughs> podcast network or whatever. Of course you are. But, um, <laughs> of course you are. Uh, rules are good and cool. Um, no, I, <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, I've been on cruise before where field mouth and field banter. That's that's I feel like that's its own podcast. But oh, this is the dick joke thing. Yeah, right? field mouth and field banter. I'll just say it. Can, you know, it's like there's there's a certain line, and I don't know where that line is. And I don't that's think any of us. It's it's a moving target. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those things that I think it takes maturity to figure out what is acceptable, what what feel out other people's comfort levels. That's you know, like, key is mm-hmm. is paying attention to those around you who you are working with and the ones you're interacting with. Yep. And if it even seems like it at all, then just step back. Just step back on your comments. You know. Yeah. I mean, you can like have a smaller conversation or a little laughs with or something yeah there. but if it looks like it's if you're entering that zone then just don't do it exactly. i think uh it would make a really neat social experiment studying archaeologists because oh. it does go one of two ways um you know you have to kind of feel out the people you work with Mm-hmm. Because you don't have not feel you up, know. feel oh, out. <laughs> Just for the record, yeah. That's important. Those are two different things. Yeah, two working, different things. Mm-hmm. You're working temporary jobs that don't always have an HR mm-hmm. to cover your asses, and you know the rules aren't set in place. I mean, sometimes you do get sexual harassment training, and sometimes you don't. And there's a whole slew of ways you can offend people. 
or you can have a lot of fun and be yourself, but you have to work a lot harder in order to get along with your coworkers and have a safe and comfortable workspace. Yeah. So on the one hand, we do have a lot of fun, but there are times when it can blow up. Yeah. Treat each other respectfully. I mean, come on. Yesterday, Chris and I were working together and he's like, honestly, this is like the first crew I've ever worked with where nobody's cracking dick jokes all over the place (laughs) today. I'm like, yeah, don't touch my rack, man. It's because I found a it big was... old eight-point buck <laughs> skull. With, you know, and I'm like, don't touch my rack. I'm like, how's that for a dick joke? There's all going to make dick you jokes. feel better. Yeah, yeah. Various hand gestures to. They're just reflexes. But you know what? Honestly, get to a we've age. come a long way since I had to endure a couple of uh, old professors of mine that. Mr. Sims knows as well yeah. about naked archaeology in the 70s. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we have come a long way. Mm-hmm. We have. Uh, yes, we have. have. However, in terms of professional behavior. Yeah. But as, as an archaeologist, you need to have somewhat of a, uh, of a thicker skin because we're not yeah. the softest people. We're kind of crude at times. We're, you know, uh, you know, we going through bramble fields, you're going to have a stream of profanity coming out of your mouth because it's not a pleasant thing. It is not pleasant. And if somebody is feeling uncomfortable, if you do feel uncomfortable, speak up. And if you are the one who it's being told to, be receptive to it because Mm -hmm. people have different, different Mm -hmm. levels of feeling um, different comfort levels and stuff, things mm-hmm. that affect them differently. So yeah. just it, whichever yeah. end you're on, you know, kind of think about it. You don't, yeah. you don't know where people are coming from. That's the, no. that's the important thing to remember. And we talked about a little bit about, about this on the CRM archaeology podcast a few weeks ago, I think. You know, you don't know where people are coming from, where they've been, what they've been through. Be very careful about what you say. Treat people professionally. Be a professional for crying out loud. It's not that hard, honestly. Yeah. Enter the situation with respect. Enter mm-hmm. your your new project with respect for all of your crew. Feel out, you know, what is acceptable and feel out everybody's comfort level. And if you're on the receiving end of something that's making you uncomfortable, like Baker said, have a thick skin. Yes. But like but. Karen brought up earlier, be a good communicator too. You mm-hmm. know, like absolutely. If if something it has bothered you, speak, speak up. Speak up. Someone will have your back. So yeah, yeah. your bet. Absolutely. And it's kind of like you know, um, in other jobs, you have a verbal warning to mm-hmm. begin with, and like then there's oft, often a written one. Mm-hmm. Well, let that you know that give mm-hmm. your verbal kind of warning I mean we don't like nobody likes combative things but you also have the right to stand up if you are Mm -hmm. if things are going badly and you are being harassed absolutely you feel uncomfortable you need to you need to be able to communicate and say that and those above who are in charge need to listen Mm -hmm. they need to listen because they can be something that seems very minor could turn very serious very quickly Mm -hmm. and uh and you don't, and nobody wants that to happen. You want to have good, successful projects. You know, everybody's able. To we're all on the same team here. We're working toward the same goal. If you get turned down by somebody on the crew, don't worry. You know, it's not going to be the end of your world. It's going to be okay. <laughs> and, and it doesn't only go for personal behavior and that kind of stuff. It also goes for if you feel like something unethical is taking place. 
If you're having to, for example, in the, in the Southwest, if there's 80% snow coverage and they want you to go out and survey and everything's on the surface, you need to speak up and say something. Mm -hmm. And you know, whether or not that costs you that job, that's not a company you want to work for anyway. You just yeah. need a shovel test then. You need, yeah. you need to be willing to stand up for what you know is right. Uh, and or what you believe in is right, and if yeah. that does cost that a job, that's what it costs. Easy. Because, mm -hmm. and it's not always easy it's because always a lot easy. of us are paycheck to paycheck people, and uh, you know you need that work. But if it's really grating on you, you need to stand up for what you believe in and what you know is right. Yeah, and even if it's not reaching out to somebody on that project, reach out to somebody. You know, if you have a mentor, if you have somebody who you know you trust and feel safe communicating mm -hmm. with reach out to that person if you're on a project and you don't have a safe space on a project reach out to somebody who you do feel safe with absolutely and many of us on uh, like the CRM archaeology podcast and go dig a hole we are safe people to reach out to you you can ask us questions and get feedback on that um, to yeah, a, I mean, to a certain situations. degree, yeah. how, to, how to deal with situations. It is good. To, I mean, the idea, I've never really thought about that as like a safe place, you know, mm -hmm. but it, it, that's nice that, um, I mean, it's good that if you guys are opening up to that kind of um, communication, I mean, you guys obviously have a lot of stuff to do and everything, but being willing to like answer somebody's questions about how do I approach this just being able to a little conversation may change everything for mm -hmm. them. may change the outcome of that situation I mean we do what we can I would say Chris but I mean we're not we're not always your bosses no. <laughs> um, but we can uh, we can provide some feedback to you yeah at the very least and our feedback is honest and you know we we want you to be successful and if you're in a bad place or in a bad situation we you need to you need to be able to reach out and find a way to resolve that mm -hmm. so whether it's somebody on your crew whether it's human resources whether it's someone outside um, of or one of us um, on the APN reach out you know even if it's just to say hey I appreciate your podcast. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, rate it five stars or, or just don't bother rating it. I only want five star ratings. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, one thing that um, I know, I'm sure you've covered these things on your podcasts, but um, it is nice, the um, integration of uh, new technology. It's not new, but it's in our field, it's still new. Mm -hmm. I mean, relatively. And a lot of companies we're seeing a lot more use of tablets and uh, mm -hmm. and different things. And it's, it's good for recording um, shovel tests. I am still a big fan of the yellow notebook, but that's mm -hmm. how I came out and I was told to write in pen mm -hmm. so that nobody can change it. Mm -hmm. um, but... I do see that uh, the tablets do work really nice, and I know Chris that you're uh, you've got a tech background and like helping to develop those kind of apps and stuff. So that's been nice mm -hmm. on this project. Um, the last one I came off of with a different company, they were also using the Memento program, mm -hmm. so that was I was already familiar. At least I recognized something, so that was good. But yeah, I'm uh, I do like the uh, tablets to a point. I do prefer my notebook, but. <laughs> Overall, yeah, I think they are better in certain ways. For the company, they're definitely better because it takes time 
off of processing it later on when the project's over. True. It helps the budget a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. For the field techs, we'd all probably rather have our just mm-hmm. notebook. But if you learn, it's another skill to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've used tablets in phase ones and phase threes. So it's a really good skill to have because you end up not doing just your job, you're helping out the crew chief. Mm-hmm. And that's part of your career progression. Yeah. You don't always want to just be a field tech forever. You want to learn other skills to help mm-hmm. advance. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. And you brought up a good point of it being a good skill to learn because that's a transferable skill to other industries. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Don't don't let your traditional skills go rusty because if that technology fails, you still need to be able to use your compass. Sure, you exactly. still need to be able to write your notes yeah. mm-hmm. by hand. You still need to be able to do that stuff because... Hey, when it gets cold outside, batteries die quick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bring it full sometimes, circle. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> tablets fail. Sometimes GPSs fail. I mean, yeah. shit happens. I'm sorry I said the S word, dude. And if you're I, I had to throw that so in there. <laughs> if so. you're in school still and you haven't learned these, or um, ask your professors about them. If you have like a hands-on class, say, mm-hmm. I've heard that they're starting to use these different programs. Do we have access to anything like that? Mm -hmm. Because the more you know before you come out into the field, the better off you're going to be. It's less less intimidating. Each each Mm -hmm. company's version of different things. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's less intimidating. The Trimble is not the golden box that Mm -hmm. only a few can use. It's something that we should all know how to use. Yeah, We should all know how to use it, know how to use TerraSync, know how to use... ArcPad. 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 And uh, I prefer one over the other. But I guess ArcPad is supposed to be good on the back end. And, uh, and, and if you don't know what on the back end means, it just means the other side, which you need to pay attention to too, as well. Yeah, you're on the field side. <laughs> You're not on the processing side unless you are. In which you case, you want to be cognizant of the processing yeah. side, and yeah. if you get the chance to be able to work on the ba- on the processing huh. side, whether it's helping with reports or uh, lab work, lab work uh, data and entry. any data, data entry, entry. Yep. Uh, volunteer if you can. I mean, most I know you may not want to volunteer, but volunteering is an excellent way to improve your <laughs> skills if you're able to. I mean. Time is limited in all of our lives. We have a certain amount of free time, and uh, it's not always free. If you've got a tablet, free, if you've got a tablet computer like an Android, <laughs> download download uh, Memento because that's the program that we use for our Androids. If you I, have an iPad, download uh, Tapforms. I've downloaded the manuals for Trimbles before for mm-hmm. myself, so for our own projects. Mm-hmm. If I'm a little rusty or something, mm-hmm. uh, I've downloaded them for Total Stations. Yeah. Which, yeah. And then I've down- I am I've- so rusty. <laughs> <laughs> okay, nice. Okay, well, transit use here yeah. for, for when I started out. But Ugh. like I've used lots of different types of Total Stations, and right now I would have to admit that I'm a bit rusty. I didn't say that out loud, though. Um, <laughs> she, knows, she knows what she's doing. But I'm yeah. doing yeah. the Trimble right now. So. Yeah. Karen Rusty yeah. is still like a, a black belt compared yeah. to whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's like an eighth degree black belt instead of a twelfth degree when she's no. rusty. That's, right. That's very nice of you to say that. But we all get rusty, you know, if we haven't been using something Absolutely. for a while. But you can find so many manuals and different things online now. Even oh, if you just like skim through it, just for some terminology and different things. Mm-hmm. 
you just try not, you know, you won't be left behind. You can, mm-hmm. you can, exactly. anything that anybody's out there doing on a project, you can learn. Mm-hmm. You yeah. can learn. And it, 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 is a, it is a steep learning curve these days with all the new technology mm-hmm. that's coming out and that kind of stuff. And it's very intimidating. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, I mean, I, people get the shakes using trimbles for the first time. I mean, it's, it's very intimidating because you don't want to mess up. You don't want to look lesser in front of your peers. Uh, but you know what? Everyone had to learn at some point. Yeah. And just take it in stride. People are willing to teach you. Um, yeah, it's it, it's it's it not that it difficult. And it, it makes it all it the more better when people are willing. Not to everybody's going to be a tech expert like Chris Sims, <laughs> but you want to be operator level. He's pretty awesome. You want to know how to run the equipment. You may not know how to do all the cool things with it, but to make it work through the day and get the information you need. That's your goal as a Archaeologist, not just a field tech, as an archaeologist. Period. Mm-hmm. No matter. I've known PAs, PAs straight out of grad school, didn't know how to run anything. So what do they do? They have somebody show them how to do, how to do their job. That's just how you learn. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you gotta you gotta take into consideration the path that other people have walked. I mean, a lot of us have heard that that archaeologists that they that as field technicians we train. Uh, our field our field directors how to how to use a GPS right well think about this if they just graduated from graduate school as a field and they're a field director and they've never used a Trimble GPS instead they use something else everybody needs to start somewhere you know and just because they have a master's degree doesn't mean they're stupid <laughs> sometimes they're stupid I don't but know, not I'm always. kind of a space cadet sometimes I mean sometimes I need a re- renewal I mean honestly yeah. I have I have like four Trimble GPS units of varying age let's just say <laughs> since this company is very small I can't afford like $50,000 GPS units like other companies can so I buy older GPS's and I've got two GPS's that I call Coyote and Loki because they're <laughs> assholes <laughs> Let's just be honest about it. They're jerks. They're very, very, very sensitive to temperature and time of day. Oh, Lord. And sometimes they just want to mess with you. Two o'clock. I had one yeah. that I called the fussy robot baby. <laughs> <laughs> you carry it through the woods and it's just constantly fussing at you. It's fussy. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it, sometimes it's just the technology. Like, one person has been trained on one of the awesome new Trimble GPS units, and you guys happen to be using a 2003 model that's <laughs> but honestly, antiquated and collect old. The same, the same data. Exactly. Yeah. Collect, and yeah. one's just shiny and new. Yeah, and exactly. One's, one's old, rugged friend. And kind of a jerk. You know. <laughs> like Loki. <laughs> a little He's crusty a on the, around the edges. Yeah. You know? Just think Avengers. It still works. Just trust me on this one. Loki is an asshole. Hopefully he's not going to what happens after a like R2-D2 versus like BBA. It's like R2-D2 is like the old crusty one. It's like pretty salty and fussy, but... Still gets the job done just as well. BBA is cute. Yeah. Cute and awesome. Cute and slick. Can go anywhere. Like, nice graphic design, whatever. But, yeah, it, you know, they do the same thing. Does anybody understand point. physics in the Star Wars universe? I'm just, I'm just, let's just not go into this. No. Right way. <laughs> Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Anyway. So, archaeology. So, um... <laughs> 
I don't know. What do you think? Any closing points on like one quick point that makes you a good professional for like something for uh, someone just starting out? Make sure you can follow directions from the very beginning because that's going to affect the way that your boss communicates with you throughout your project. If you're on, if you're on a project uh, that's maybe only two sessions long and how about if I just put it this way? I cannot express to you, the listener, and to my crew, how appreciative I am of your professionalism. It's been an honor to work with each and every one of you. Okay? Thank I you. want you to remember that. And I appreciate the work that you have done. You have worked so hard. And I want you to remember that you've done a great job. No, don't cry. It's going to be okay, Karen. It's you guys. It's not me. It's you who have made this project a success. Okay? Thank you. So don't forget that. Okay? You can't see it, but we're all really misty right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my advice on professionalism is don't just show up on time. Show up a little bit early. Pay attention and have your equipment. I mean, if you do that, you're already winning right there. My advice would be to ask the questions that are on your mind. Uh, make sure you can be as knowledgeable as possible. Uh, and, uh, you know, archaeologists tend to have very unique personalities. There's lots of, lots of introverts and, and things like that within archaeology. Uh, and we have conflicting personalities a lot of the time, but try and be as calm and as rational as possible uh, when you're asking these questions. Uh, even if you disagree. Even if you disagree. Uh, agree to disagree sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what's most important. Don't Absolutely. just Don't just draw a line in the sand. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not always just one way to be right. Absolutely. Uh, so just ask the questions that come to mind and get the knowledge that you can. Uh, to perform your job the best that you can. I'm going to pull off of what Baker just said to the experienced archaeologists out there who are wonderful archaeologists. You're not the shit, and be humble, and you don't know everything. Just Mm -hmm. remember that, Mm -hmm. and we will love you. Okay, I'm going to say that uh, you need to remain flexible, and that's uh, Mm -hmm. with the idea that um, you may go in with one idea of how the job is going to be, but things change, whether it's the work conditions, things can change quickly, whether or not you're coming to a new company and their methods are a bit different. To be successful, you need to really be flexible in this field. Uh, You need to be willing to learn new things and and suffer through change, mm-hmm. <laughs> changing, you know, change over time and stuff. I think those are all great points. And, you know, Karen, uh, Sonia and I were joking about that. I think yesterday we had ended up having to change plans two or three times in the span of like an hour. Mm-hmm. And I said, I have 10 rules for archaeology and three of them are be flexible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so true. Uh, and yeah. I'd say my advice is, uh, you know, to echo what I said when I started off is act like you've been there before, mm-hmm. which doesn't don't interpret that to be like, you know, be cocky and, and pretend like you know what you're doing, because as all of us have, have said throughout the course of the show, um, you know, you have everybody, no matter where you are, 
you have a lot to learn all the mm-hmm. time. Be willing to learn, but acting like you've been there before means that you can carry yourself a certain way. That you'll be a good team player and you'll learn a lot. You'll have a great time with everybody and all of the trivial little things that get a lot of people bent out of shape just starting out will just fall away. Mm-hmm. And you'll have a great time and you'll be able to weather the storms. You'll be able to weather the dry periods of, you know, being a field archaeologist. And, you know, hopefully by the time you've you've had 10 or 20 years in the field, you know, you'll be able to look back fondly on all of your experiences. Yeah. And when that time comes, be helpful and be kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And help <laughs> others along the way. That's mm-hmm. right. We're all yeah. we're all on the same team. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks everybody. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Go Dig a Hole podcast. This has been your host, Chris Sims. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, family, coworkers, uh, anybody who you think could get something useful out of this episode I'm also thankful to everyone who I got a chance to speak with on this episode it's now been about uh, three or four years since that episode was recorded and it's really cool to see how useful that information remains um, it, you know as I go back through the archives some perspectives or some, you know, interviewing techniques have, have, you know, not aged as well, but, uh, this one really stands, uh, I think as evergreen. Um, and so it was cool to go back and kind of revisit all of that and put it fresh in my mind. If you have any ideas for episodes, please reach out on social media. Uh, you can tag me at go dig a hole on, uh, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, We also have a Facebook page that's monitored by all of our hosts. And you can look forward to more new episodes coming soon with uh, Katie, Tia, and Kirsten. And I'll also be digging back even deeper into the archives for more of the older episodes. If you dig the music for this podcast, you can check out the band Invaders on Bandcamp. The song is called Dig a Hole off of their album, also called Dig a Hole. And special thanks to our friend JC Dennison for giving us permission to use that.